Good morning. Sweet. Awesome. All right, I'm going to steal this stand. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Yuan, also known as Yuan, and I'm part of the teaching team here at Discovery. I've actually been on vacation in Taiwan for like the last few weeks, so I'm really excited to be back I'm here worshiping with you all, and also really excited just for the opportunity to get to share um, from God's word um, with us all this morning. Uh, before we start, let me just open us with a word of prayer. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we just come before you this morning, and we thank you for Sunday mornings, God, for the gift and blessing of fellowship and family and coming together because you have united us um, by the blood of Christ, um, that you have redeemed us and called us your own and made us family. Um, and we just come this morning to worship you, um, and God, and just as we worshiped you through song and through the giving of offering. God, we want to continue worshiping you right now, God, through um, the study of your word and the proclamation of your word. And God, we pray that your spirit would move here, um, that we would just be blown away by how good you are this morning, and that we would be transformed, and that we would rejoice because of it, Lord. Um, so we lift this morning up to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, this first thing, we're going to just start it off by reading the passage first. We're going to be in Psalm 130 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, and you can go ahead and raise your hand, and one of our um, helpers will gladly give you one. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please, uh, this is our gift to you. Write your name in it. Take it home. Uh, it's for you. Um, it should also be up on the screen behind you. And in keeping with tradition during this series, let's go ahead and read this psalm together. Cool. So Psalm 130, uh, let's read it out loud together. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Awesome. All right, so in reading that, hopefully the first thing we see is that there's a consistent thread, right, through this psalm. It's definitely a psalm about hope, about waiting in hope, and it's also a psalm where we see a thread that the Christian hope is ultimately found in longing for redemption, right? Redemption from our iniquities. Um, you see that at the opening of the psalm, you see it in the middle, you see it in the closing. And so our big idea this morning is simply this, right? That Christian hope is found in the God who faithfully loves and abundantly restores broken, undeserving people like you and like me. That's our big idea this morning. Now, the title of this morning's sermon is A Posture of Hope, okay, A Posture of Hope. And I wanted to spend a couple minutes kind of defining terms for us this morning. First off, hope, right? What does hope mean? Well, in everyday kind of terminology and usage, if you Google 
the word hope, uh, Google will give you the definition that it's when you want something to happen or be the case. Right? It's kind of like, oh, I hope you have a good day, or I hope this works out, or I hope I pass this test. Right? It's a little bit of like, I wish this happens, I hope this happens. That is not the definition of hope that we see in the Bible. And so for that, I want to give us what I think is a better definition, and we'll have a really short video for us on that. Now let's see if we can't figure out what you are, my little friend, and where you come from. I saw part of the message. He w I seem to have found it. General Kenobi, years ago you served my father in the Clone Wars. Now he begs you to help him in his struggle against the Empire. I regret that I am unable to present my father's request to you in person, but my ship has fallen under attack, and I'm afraid my mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed. I have placed information vital to the survival of the Rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. My father will know how to retrieve it. You must see this droid safely delivered to him on Alderaan. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Now let's see if we can. All right, sweet. So, any Star Wars fans out there? Awesome. I uh, looked this up last night, and it still gives me chills. It's so good. <laughs> right? And I, and I think that's just so classic, right? Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. But I think there's something that we see in that definition of hope there. Right? Because the first thing we see is that hope is about deliverance. Right? It's about what we're looking for for deliverance. And biblical hope is not just about what, but who we're looking for for deliverance, right? who we're looking to for deliverance. So that's our definition of hope this morning. And the second piece of that is posture, right? Now, what is posture, right? Uh, I hear about posture a lot because I tend to stand like this all day. Um, my parents are always like, have better posture. Now, posture is your default position, right? It's kind of what's constantly shaping you. Uh, I started doing a bunch of work on a laptop at cafe sitting like this, and I thought I was young enough, like it's not a big deal and I can work like this, but it only took about a week before my back started hurting because I was constantly hunched over, right? And my posture in sitting had pretty soon started shaping um, the arch of my back. Now, if you guys have been around for this series, we've been going through um, the Psalm of Ascents, right? And the Psalm of Ascents are called such because they're songs that the Israelites would sing during their pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Um, they were songs that they would sing uh, at least three times a year during the um, three major festivals as they're making this pilgrimage. And we've been talking about discipleship and defining it as being formed into a way of life. Right? And because of that, I like the word posture because we're constantly being formed. Right? If there's nothing else you get out of this entire series, I hope the one thing is we realize that we are constantly being discipled by something. And we are constantly being formed into a way of life, whether we know it or not. Let me give you an example of that, right? And it's, it happens subtly. It happens very subtly when we talk about our posture of hope. Um, I love watching rom-coms. I don't know if you guys like watching rom-coms. And there's a friend of mine, right? And he liked watching rom-coms too, so we would watch together. But during college, at one point, he, he told me that every time he watches a romantic comedy, he ends up feeling really lonely and depressed, right? And we were kind of talking about that, and it was because there was something about watching romantic comedies 
that made him feel like if only he had a girlfriend, right, that he would be happy, right? And it was subtly suggesting that his hope should be found in a relationship. Similarly for me, when I was in Taiwan um, the past few weeks, and just spending time with family, all day, every day with family, it's so easy to just fall into the idea that, yeah, as long as I have family, right, and family is going good, then I'll be happy, right? It's so easy to start placing my hope in that. Or even coming back from Taiwan, um, had too much spicy hot pot there, I was feeling a little bit sick, and a crazy jet lag, and I was driving along the freeway and saw this uh, Kaiser Permanente um, billboard that talks about thriving, right? About being healthy and thriving. And I remember thinking, man, if only I wasn't sick, like everything would be so much better, right? And it's so easy to put my hope in that. Now, none of these things are bad, right? Family's good, romantic comedies and relationships are good, and being healthy is good. But where is our ultimate hope? Right? And that's the question I have for us this morning as we look into this psalm. What does it mean for us to maintain a posture of hope that ultimately looks to God and his steadfast love and abundant redemption for our hope and deliverance? Now, I know we already read Psalm 130, but I'm going to read it one more time for us this morning. And I'm going to ask us to picture it as I read it, right? because this is a psalm. It's poetry, and as much as we can try to break down the words of the psalmist, I really want us to feel the psalmist here. So I'm going to read it one more time for us. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This morning as we walk through this, We're going to be looking at three things about what it means to maintain a posture of hope. The first is recognizing our need. The second is waiting in hope. And the third is hoping in the Lord. Let's start with recognizing our need. When we look at the beginning of this psalm here, we definitely see the psalmist crying out, right? Crying out from the depths, pleading for mercy, and recognizing his own brokenness. I think in our culture today, somehow we tend to come to God with a sense of entitlement, right? Like we tend to feel like we are somehow damsels in distress and that God should deliver us or that God should respond to us or that God should save us, right? But look at the psalm. That is not the approach it takes. The psalmist here recognizes his own iniquities such that he says in verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Now, what does this word iniquity mean? It means twisted, right? That the psalmist here recognizes that he is broken, sinful, and twisted. And elsewhere in scripture, you might call this a glad rebellion, right? That the psalmist recognizes that he didn't just mess up somewhere, but that he is actually has sinned against God and is in glad rebellion against God. 
And verse 3 here essentially is it's a rhetorical question, but it's saying that if any of us were in the presence of God before his judgment throne, we couldn't stand before him. We don't even deserve to be in God's presence, much less to have him help us. That's the starting point of this psalm. Now that sounds kind of harsh and depressing, but if it's not broken, what are we hoping for, right? Hope needs to start with the recognition that we are broken, that we need deliverance. And this is actually the pattern, the heartbeat that we see throughout the scriptures, right? You look at, you know, King David and his recognition of his own sinfulness before God in Psalm 51 and his brokenness, right? You look at the Apostle Paul and how he calls himself the worst of all sinners. Throughout the scriptures, this is what you see. You look at the Roman centurion who came to Jesus and asked him to heal his son. And the Roman centurion said, I'm not worthy for you to even step into my house. Right? Or the Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus. And again, she said, just give me the scraps that fall off the tables because I'm not worthy. Right? This is the heart of people you see throughout the scriptures coming before God recognizing that we don't deserve anything because we have rebelled against him. Right? We deserve nothing. Verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Right? We deserve nothing, but God is gracious. And so we're looking to him. That word feared there, right? clearly it's not talking about fear of punishment because there's forgiveness. And so this fear here is talking about being blown away and awed by the presence of greatness. It's kind of the feeling you might think when you're standing in front of the ocean, right? Or looking out at the sunset. or looking out at the mountain ranges. Like you're dwarfed and you're in awe. And there's a sense of fear, not of what's going to happen to me, but a fear of that is so amazing. And that's what the forgiveness of God should be doing to us this morning and all the time. Because when we recognize how much we don't deserve forgiveness and then we receive it anyways, it should blow us away. So that was the first point there, right? Is recognizing our own brokenness. Moving on from there, we look at to what it means to wait in hope. And let me read that for us again here in verse five. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Clearly, I hope you guys feel the psalmist here, right? He repeats it over and over again. He's waiting, he's longing, he's expecting something to happen. Now, I've never been a watchman waiting for the morning. I don't wake up early enough to be waiting for the morning. Um, but I have been a watchman waiting in hope. Now... I don't have kids of my own, but two weeks ago in Taiwan, I had the lovely privilege of taking care of all of my little nephews and nieces. And there was one point where somehow all of the moms left to go do something fun. And it was just the dads and me trying to take care of six kids between the ages of one and nine, four of which didn't speak the language of the country. Um, and I have a picture up here to kind of show you what it looked like. Okay, so this is human being where we were staying. Um, and you can imagine trying to navigate six kids through this crowd and get them from location A to location B, right? On top of that, being the um, 
trying to be the fun uncle, but actually being the dumb uncle, we, we skipped lunch and had them eat this, um, which is shaved snow with condensed milk and ice cream with a bunch of mango and kiwi and strawberry. And I've never seen kids eat so fast. They all got brain freeze. And I never knew how fast kids metabolize sugar. So as soon as they put their spoons down, like literally all six of them just in six different directions through the streets of Taiwan, and it was mayhem. And me and uh, my brother-in-law and my cousin were just like, what just happened? So of course, in a situation like that, we did the only thing we knew how to do, which was call the moms for help. <laughs> So we cried out for help, sending the text. We were like, help, the kids have gone crazy. And we knew help was on the way. That said, we still had to get them from location A to location B in this hyper jumping off every step and platform they could find uh, situation. And I was definitely waiting and watching and hoping right, for the moms to come back. So that's my experience as a watchman, not necessarily waiting for the morning, but waiting for the moms to return. And when they came back, I can say we were really relieved and happy. There's a couple of things here in that, though, right, that I want us to see. I think the first thing is that waiting is about confident expectation, right? It says here in this psalm that we hope in the word of the Lord, right? We hope in his word, that when he says he's going to do something, Right? We can be confident of that. And so for us today as Christians, when we wait on the Lord, we're waiting in confidence because we believe that God delivers on his promises. That's the first thing. The second thing is that waiting is not passive idling, but it's active anticipation. Right? Just as a watchman waiting for the morning isn't sitting around twiddling his thumbs waiting for the sun to come up, right? he's watching diligently as he's waiting for the morning. And just as I wasn't sitting around watching the kids go crazy, right? But I was actively trying to corral them and be faithful stewards of these kids that had been entrusted to me, right? I was actively participating and anticipating the help that was to come, right? And in the same way for us in our Christian lives today, when we wait on the Lord, we can be actively anticipating and waiting in hope because we know that God is going to deliver, and we know that help is on the way. For some of you this morning, maybe you're here and you're feeling pulled in six different directions. Right? Maybe you've been struggling internally with brokenness inside you and it feels like it's a hopeless lost cause and there's no end in sight. Or maybe you're dealing with a situation right, that feels hopelessly lost or even dealing with someone that feels hopelessly lost. I want to remind us this morning, that we have a confident hope in the promises of God, and that we can continue to press on today because we have that hope and that confident expectation that God will show up and God will deliver. So how can we have this confident hope? Right? We can have that confident hope when we look to the end here because our hope is in the character of God. Hope is in the character of God. Let me read that for us here. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquity. 
And when it talks about Israel here, you can also read that for us today as the people of God. Right? It's an exhortation for us to hope in God. But we can hope in God, and I love the way that it talks here about the Lord, because this is talking about who he is in his very character. Right? Steadfast love and abundant or plentiful redemption. Steadfast love is talking about the faithfulness of God. And we can trust in his word because he is faithful to his promises. Right? He is faithful to his promises. And plentiful redemption, right? Plentiful redemption. This isn't like a, I'm sorry, and we're just like, oh, it's okay. Or oh, don't, don't, don't worry about it, right? Plentiful redemption is a redemption that goes above and beyond and restores. I think about the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus told. Right? That when the son came back home and said, I'm sorry, the father wasn't just like, all right, don't worry about it. Right? The father lavished him with hugs and kisses. The father threw a party and restored to him his status, his sonship. That's the kind of love that is plentiful. I think plentiful redemption is a redemption that is demonstrated. I think back to when I was a kid, and I was a pretty bad kid, so my mom would get mad at me a lot. And there were times where, you know, my mom would yell at me, and I'd be in trouble. But the times I really knew I was in trouble was when my mom didn't say anything and just went to her room. And that's when I'm like, oh, that was bad, right? <laughs> and I remember walking up to that door and knocking and going in, I basically say, I'm sorry, mom. And we would talk about, you know, what it is that I did. But the thing that sticks out to me growing up is that every time we had those conversations, at the end, she would say, I forgive you. And then she would give me a hug. And there was always that act of demonstrated redemption and forgiveness that I knew that it wasn't just words, but I knew right, that the relationship was restored right, and that my sins were forgiven. Right? So... When we look to this with God, the beauty of it is that God has demonstrated that love and forgiveness towards us. This psalm here ends with, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. But for us today, we know that in Jesus, he has redeemed us from our iniquities. Right? Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this is an abundant redemption, a plentiful redemption, because God didn't just say it, but he demonstrated it all the way by sending his own son to die for us on that cross. And in Romans 8, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? No condemnation. That is the hope that we have in him. Did you know that in Zephaniah, it actually says that God sings over us? that his forgiveness of our sins is so complete that God rejoices and sings over you. Verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Let me ask you guys, when you think of God and how he sees you this morning, what do you picture? Do you picture a God saying, not good enough again? Or do you picture a God who has so abundantly forgiven and redeemed you in Jesus that he sings over you? Right? God sings over you. That's the hope that we have as Christians today. And because we have tasted it in Christ and we're looking forward to the fullness of that redemption, 
We should be a people marked by hope. Now, I know for a lot of us, we've heard that God has forgiven us, that God has washed away our sins, that we have been redeemed. But sometimes we don't feel it, right? Now, I remember there was a time uh, when Joy and I were dating where I had promised her that I would do something and then totally didn't do it. And she was rightfully uh, upset at me. And I remember going up to her and I was like, hey, I'm sorry. And Joy and her amazingness was like, I forgive you. And like she legitimately was like, I forgive you. But I didn't feel like that was enough. Somehow I was like, there's no way it was that easy, right? Like I need to be more sorry. I need to buy her like a million flowers. I need to do something. It can't just be as easy as I forgive you. And the crazy thing is we were still hanging out that day. And it didn't feel like the relationship was restored at all. Because even though she had forgiven me, I hadn't accepted that forgiveness, right? And the relationship still felt strained, not because she didn't forgive me, but because I didn't believe that she had forgiven me. And I think for some of us here this morning, we've heard so many times that God has forgiven us. But I want to challenge you this morning to believe it. Right? To believe it and to accept that forgiveness. To know that God really does sing over you because of what Christ has done. And to rejoice and enter into that relationship with him this morning. So when we look at this psalm, right, again, the whole thing is about maintaining a posture of hope. And hopefully this morning, we see that, yes, we need to recognize our need for deliverance, that we would actively anticipate, right, and hope in the Lord. And lastly, that we can hope because of God's character, his steadfast love, and his abundant redemption, deliverance in the person of Jesus. The application for us this morning is that we would cultivate this posture, right? Just as I can't fix my bad posture just by going like this one time, right? Posture is an ongoing thing. And similarly, I want to encourage us to take time to reflect on this truth and this hope every single day. A few ideas. The first one, which seems really simple, is simply praying and reflecting before you go to bed at night. I used to do it as a kid. It was like just a ritual we did. And at some point, I was like, okay, that's like a kid thing. Right? But I want to encourage us to go back to that. That every night before you go to bed, just take some time to reflect on the day. To reflect on, yeah, our brokenness and where we've fallen short. But then to reflect on the redemption that God brings. Right? And the hope that we have in him to start cultivating this posture of hope as an everyday thing. The second thing that I might suggest is to take some time to journal or to slow down, right? to really reflect. I think so often in our Christian lives, we shortchange this process because we say, yes, God, I sinned against you. I'm sorry, but you are gracious. Cool, right? And that's it. But when you think about that process, this, this past week, I had the chance to be packing up because we were moving, and I happened to stumble upon some old uh, letters that Joy had written, and just kind of reading back and forth on our old letters. I think there's something about slowing down, right, and actually considering where we fall short and actually listing that, right, 
and then recognizing that despite how much we fall short, God, like that we are still loved. And in our case, it was, yeah, I fall short, but you loved me anyways. And with God, it's we fall short, but God still loves us. Like I want to encourage us to take time to actually realize how far we fall short. Not to dwell in that, right? But to realize that when we are that broken and God still loves us that much, that we would be blown away by that. Does that make sense? I want to encourage us to press into that. So that's the application this morning. Is I want to encourage us to start cultivating and maintaining that posture of hope. It's not a one-time thing. Again, it's so easy to slide into hoping in all sorts of other things. And if we're not intentional about pursuing Jesus and cultivating that hope in him, we're going to be unintentional about finding our hope in the things of this world. So I want to encourage us to really press into that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much um, for your word and for this psalm that you have given to us, this psalm that has been repeated and sung for thousands of years because it captures our brokenness and our desperate, desperate need for you and how unworthy we are to have you save us. And yet, that beautiful word there, but, God, because you are a God who forgives, because your steadfast love and your plentiful redemption is amazing. And God, we thank you for Jesus because in him, you have forgiven us. And so God, this morning, I just pray that you would be moving us here, moving us to actually receive your forgiveness and to know that you sing over us. God, would you have your way in us this morning, and not just this morning here and now, but every day and every week and every month and every year that we would be cultivating and maintaining and growing in this posture of hope, that truly we would long for you because you are our only hope, God. God, may all glory be to you in your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name.